Please take your Bibles, your devices this morning, and would you go back to the book of John, and let's go to John 14 this morning. I have so enjoyed talking and meditating, uh, studying this different aspects of this amazing book, and then jumping in and out of other passages and scriptures. Uh, if you're new with us or um, you haven't been with us in some time, we're going through a study uh, here's the study, looking to Jesus. We're taking the exhortation of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, through times when our faith is tested. Just go back to Hebrews 11. You see that faith is being tested. You jump into chapter 12. We find an immediate application. Times when our faith is tested in this race, this journey we're on, this endurance race. What are we to do? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and don't take your eyes off of Him. That's what we're doing. I mean, I, I want to tell you, this, this is so incredibly practical. Our faith is being tested, so let's look to Jesus. And so what we're doing is we're taking different snapshots of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not going to go and review all the ones we've been to, but uh, we will zero in on this one today, looking to Jesus, the one and only. We're going to highlight this key idea, kind of unpack this through uh, various texts today. We'll start in John 14. We'll look at what Paul says to Timothy. And uh, we'll look at um, also some of what Peter says in the book of Acts. But we're going to highlight this key idea. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the one and only. Okay, I'm going to take about four minutes and be about as clear as I can with what we mean one and only. All right? I, I, want, I want to be crystal clear on what this means. When we talk about Jesus being the one and only, we are unashamedly embracing the claims of Jesus in John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, and we'll unpack this in a minute, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we talk about Jesus being the one and only, we are unapologetically admitting the biblical fact that Jesus is the exclusive way to the Father. If we believe the Bible, we must believe that fact. And the simple fact and application of this is not all paths lead to God. Jesus is not one trail among many to God. Jesus is the only way to God. Amen. When we talk about Jesus being the one and only, we are wholeheartedly acknowledging that in Jesus we find, and here's a couple words, we find absolute. There's another word for absolute. Propositional. That means words have meaning. All right, Absolute, propositional, exclusive truth from God. Truth is a massive deal when we look at our Bibles. And even how we navigate through the ups and downs of life. Truth is a big deal. Um, just a heads up, probably all of you in this room are aware, many of you are this, in this room are aware, that to our modern world, what I just clearly stated is massively unpopular. 
In fact, if we just stop to think about our current culture, the entire concept of absolute truth is not only unpopular, it is actually under attack. I can't tell you how many books have been written in the last 20 years called something like The Truth War. The war on truth. We are in the midst of this truth war and we are contending for the fact that words do have distinct meaning and facts are definitely or definitively concrete. Truth matters. Facts matter. No better illustration than this than if you watch, then you're just watching it unfold in front of your eyes on the political scene right now. I mean, it's undeniable that this is under attack. We're talking about political agendas that are being promoted at all cost. We're talking about media manipulation without boundaries. We're talking about handling the truth incredibly loosely. We're talking about the fact that truth seems optional. The truth is relative, what you think it might be. We're talking about, well, here you go. We're talking about Honest Abe drastically misrepresented and smugly thrown into the bus in front of a national audience. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about truth just kind of being dangled out there, and if it happens to fall in line with fact, well, okay. But if not, we'll, we'll just look past that. I was, uh, you can tell I get fired up about these things. This week I was watching and just kind of contemplating this whole thought of, of truth on the political level. And it, and it swings both ways on this. we got to admit. All right. Man is man, and we're in the midst of a culture where this truth work happens both ways, no matter what political party you're part of. But I, but I was watching uh, some of the truth facts and, and fact checks of what happened from the VP debate. And I'm just, you know, I was actually watching it in my car. Dropped off one of my kids for school. And I'm sitting in the car just watching this, this news briefing type thing. And then right in the middle of this, this, this is amazing, this commercial popped up. It was a commercial for a calculator. You know what the, calculate, what, what, what the headline on the whole commercial was? I loved it. Yes, a calculator that won't lie to you. I mean, we're, we're talking about the fact that the world around us, even marketing techniques, are, are recognizing the fact that truth is something important. Okay, so now this calculator won't lie to you. All you've seen around us is lies or mistruths or partial truths, but now you can finally grab a calculator and it won't lie to you. <laughs> well, when we think about where we are right now, it took some time to get here. I love history. I don't claim to know everything about history. I love gleaning history and thinking back through it. I mean, we talk about the truth wars we're going through right now, and as we put our thinking caps on, even kids here, put your thinking caps on right now. What's happening right now in this century didn't just happen at uh, the snap of a finger or thumb. This is a development. I mean, what's happening right now, what we see unfolding in front of us has taken time. We're talking thousands of years to develop. And it, and it makes complete sense when you read your Bibles because in the beginning of your Bibles we find the master deceiver lying. This is Satan. When we think about what's happened the last, well, let, let's just take, okay, let's do that. Let's put our thinking caps on historically and just think about the last 2,000 years. We will get to the text, but this is setting it up. 
All right. Let's just think about what's happened since the time of Christ. Christ came in a time, I mean, you might know as classical antiquity, all right? There's this a, a broad spectrum of what happened, late, middle, uh, early, middle, late antiquity. But in this antiquity age, you find uh, Jesus coming. As Galatians 4, 4, it says that at the fullness of time, God sent his son Jesus. At just the right time, God sent Jesus to rescue us. All right? And when Jesus came, he came as absolute truth from God. Jesus claims, as we'll see in just a minute, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. What reveals that to us? Well, at the same time that Jesus was here, and then post as the, as the church was being developed, we have what the Scriptures calls the Word of Truth. Jesus in John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through truth. Your Word is truth. So when we're talking about truth, we're talking about the development of truth, we have Jesus, truth personified, we have the Word of God, truth in written form, and what helps us make sense of all of that? Well, what does Jesus Christ himself say in John 16 and 17? When he, the Spirit of truth, will come, he will lead you. So this makes complete sense that when Jesus came, truth burst onto this scene. Well, I want us to think also what's happening in the world in classical antiquity. We're talking about actually pre, uh, we're still talking in B.C. days. We have really smart dudes. (laughs) These are philosophers. And we're talking about some of the classics. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, these guys working through these things. They come up with a lot of really cool theories I want to say that word. Theories. But it's interesting to read through, and I, I don't claim to be an expert at all on those philosophers. I, I like reading some of them as much as I can stay awake. But as I'm reading through these philosophers, you realize that, that there are a couple things persuading them. And two of the most dynamic things that are persuading them are what's known as paganism and humanism are, are really influencing their path to truth. That's what's happening in antiquity. So we have dynamic truth that has come in the form of Jesus, the Word, the Spirit guiding us to truth. But at the same time, we see these philosophers that are coming up with these things, some really cool things, some things, even their method of thinking through things, we will embrace today. But nonetheless, there was some taintedness going on. Well, we don't see that anywhere better than the next age, the Middle Ages. Think through history, this thousand years. And really, if you want to look at the thousand years of the Middle Ages, look at that as being a massive truth tug of war. (laughs) Where you see the, the philosophies that come alive with some of these classic philosophers and how it weasels its way into... I mean, just just think about the universal church at that time was known as the Catholic Church. Look at the wrestling matches that happened in the Catholic Church between truth and humanism and how it impacted a ton of stuff that happened in the Middle Ages. When we think about truth in the Middle Ages, we're talking about truth, absolute truth was continually tested. All right, let's go on to the next stage. Some of you might enjoy this and you're thinking about this. It's called modernity or kind of the key mark of modernity is enlightenment. You've probably heard this if you remember back to um, high school or even college social studies 
during this age in history, absolute truth was distorted. Not only was it under attack in the Middle Ages, it's distorted now as you get into the Enlightenment, into uh, modernity. People became enlightened. They were seeking a false sense of freedom. And what were they seeking freedom from? The past, from God, and from all authority. That's what was happening in, in the Enlightenment. When we, when we think about the Enlightenment, basic faith in a sovereign God was replaced with faith in the sovereignty of human reason, scientific method, and natural progress. That all was like it replaced God. Basically, through this age of, of enlightenment, God was pulled off His sovereign throne and put into the natural realm. That's what's happening here. And what happened to truth in the mix? It was just like watered down and distorted. The motto of the enlightenment is this. Truth is not up there. Truth, and I hope you hold on to what I'm saying here. Truth is not up there. It's out there. And put on your thinking caps on and go figure it out. Because you can, because you're all that. That's what's happened in the enlightenment. Well, we think through that. Um, we go from this to modernity. Enlightenment, we go from that to what we're currently in. And actually, there's, there's another stage they call uh, they're coming up with all kinds of names for what we're in right now. Post, post-modernity, uh, meta-modernity. All these things are happening right now. But nonetheless, we're still kind of in the cusp of what's known as post-modernity. What is this? And this is really important for us to understand. This happened in the middle of the 20th century. All right, so mid-1900s. And something happened when we're working through this concept of truth. From the Enlightenment... From seeking this truth through your own human reason, something was born during this time in history, this post-modernity. Absolute truth was conveniently denied. What am I talking about? The misguided souls sang praises to relativism, pluralism, coexistence and tolerance. The key words. Yeah, we, we do embrace some of that stuff, like tolerance. Yes, we do, but we embrace it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. By His grace and His mercy and kindness. We minister the way Jesus ministered. But in this, the motto of this post-modernity uh, is this. What is truth to you can be truth to you and, it's a key word, and what is truth to me can be truth to me. <laughs> You've seen this? Even though... Basic logic says you cannot have opposing truths and still claim a truth. I mean, we're talking about basic logic. Even, even though basic logic says either you have a truth or you don't have a truth. Even though basic logic says in order for truth to be presented, ever must at least be a possibility. Even though we think through those things and on a basic level, still post-modernity is consumed with this. Okay, you can hold your truth, I'll hold my truth. And they can both be truths. I'm going to tell you, that has so saturated every aspect of the culture in which we live. And just a minute, just a minute ago I said, what I'm talking about here, absolute truth, is vastly unpopular. Why? Well... Because in post-modernity, you can tolerate anything and anyone except anything and anyone that claims to believe in absolute truth. The fact is, through all human history, 
there has been a war for absolute truth. And it is still continuing. Because Satan is so opposed to God's program, he is going to do whatever he can to delete absolute truth. But because he knows he cannot completely delete absolute truth, what is he going to do? What is Satan going to do? He's going to do this. He's going to try to derail absolute truth. He is going to try to distort absolute truth. He is going to try to dilute absolute truth, to water it out. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what's being taught to our kids in this world. Don't hold on to this absolute truth. And what do we do as brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we process this? As the body of Christ here, when we talk about absolute truth, here's what we do. We, by faith, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. What do we do when, when, when truth is under attack? We unashamedly run to the propositional truth of the tried and tested Word of God. Where we clearly see Jesus Christ as the one and the only. So when truth is attacked, we do exactly what we're doing right here on this Sunday morning, October 11th. We reassure ourselves of the one and only Jesus. Let's do this this morning for the remainder of our time. Let's look at some of these distinctives of this one and only, Jesus Christ. And I want us to start in John 14. Kids are already doing phenomenal. Thank you. That was a lot. So thank you for sitting still and and listening. So kids sitting in here right now this morning, what we're going to do now is see how Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the one and only. So, as the one and only, Jesus is, first of all, we'll see this today, the exclusive way to God. Let's go to John 14. John 14, what's happening in John 14? Can you you with me think about what's happening in the context of John 14? What's happening in John 14 is this. Jesus, in this teaching, is in the upper room with his disciples. What is about to happen? Well, very clearly, Jesus... Mentioning this as he establishes the new covenant through the Last Supper. Mentions this, and and, and actually it's beautiful what happens in the upper room. We're going to talk about this next week. We're going to be in the upper room again next week. And in the upper room, what does Jesus do? He goes and washes these disciples' feet. He serves them. Jesus himself is about to go to the cross the next day. And he's serving his disciples. And he talks to them. I love the heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the upper room because he knows the nightmare that the disciples are about to go through. He knows it. They don't, they don't know. They've seen this tension rise through all the ministry of Jesus as it's very clearly found in the Gospels. They see this tension about to happen. They know something's going down. They're ready for Jesus to wipe out all the Romans and the Jewish leaders that are misguided. They don't realize Jesus Christ is going to the cross to suffer the most humiliating death of any Roman uh, on a Roman cross, of any Jew on a Roman cross. And so what does Jesus do? He spends time in the upper room and he, he, he comforts them. Would you, would you look with me at John 14, 1? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Wow, what a promise. And you know the way to where I'm going. And right about this time, all these disciples are like scratching their heads a little bit. They've heard some really interesting stuff from Jesus Christ. And now they're thinking, what is he saying? And Thomas is the one that voices it. Okay, we're talking about a very extreme, honest question from an extremely analytical disciple. And what does he say? Lord, we do not know where you are going. <laughs> and how can we know the way? <laughs> In other words, okay, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. And how can we even find the path to where you're going if we don't even know where you're going? And here is the direct response of Jesus Christ because now he, not only, he couples the destination with the path to get there and he brings it all together in himself. And what does he say? Jesus said to him, I, Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Right there, he brought the destination Father in his glory, the path, Jesus, all together in one statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Hey, Thomas, I'm right here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What has Jesus just stated? If you want to know the destination and the path to the destination, look no further than the one who is sitting at this table in front of you, the one who just washed your feet. If you truly want hope from God through times of uncertainty, you will find it only in me. He says, I am the way. I am the exclusive path to God. He says, I am the truth and the life. Uh, think of it this way. He says, I am the way, and, and maybe if you want to, in your minds, I think from the flow of the text and the focus on the first part of this, the way, I think you can almost insert in your minds the word because. I am the way because I am the truth and the life. I am the way because I embody revelation from God that can give you lasting life. And then he says this statement that we cannot ignore. 2,000 years ago, we need to cling to this with everything we have. No one comes to the Father but by me. I really enjoy outdoors. I love hiking. I love spending time sitting next to a cool mountain stream, uh, taking my shoes off, putting them in the stream. I love hiking. Uh, I mean, most of the hiking I've done has been in the state of Colorado, where I was raised, uh, where we lived for several years. Um, I love hiking with my bow looking for animals, <laughs> uh, and that's really what it turns into a lot, is hiking with my bow. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, there's a lot of our friends out in Colorado, several of them, that love this certain venture. It's called Climbing 14ers, uh, 14,000 foot, and there's 58 of them in the state of Colorado. Uh, and some guys try to climb all of them. Certain of them are harder than others. Some don't take very long at all. One of them, you can drive almost to the top, Pikes Peak, and you can climb you did a 14er. Uh, other ones, you have to work hard to get to the top. 
uh, somewhere to like Mount Shasta over here. For some, it'll take a long one-day trek. For some others, it'll take a two-day trek. Nonetheless, what I'm getting at is this. When you climb a 14er, there's genuine, generally a couple different ways that you can summit that 14er. You can take the hard route. You can take the easy route. You can take the long route. You can take the flatter route. You can take the steeper route. If you bring your gear, which I'm not into rock climbing, but you can certainly go up that way. There's several ways to the top. Well, the problem is that mentality, and, and I love talking with Tom Seichow, pastor of the Mean Church here, and we were talking about this the other day in staff meeting. He says, this misguided thought is there's, there's, there's all these paths, and they'll somehow get you to the top. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot bring that mentality into theology. That is not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is the exact opposite. There is one way to get to the top. There's one path to God the Father, and it is only through Jesus Christ. That's the statement here. The simple point is this. There's one way to get to God exclusively through Jesus. Let's look at another one of these distinctives of this Jesus. All right, so Jesus is the way to God the Father. Now it's kind of unpacked a little bit in my mind to what Paul says to Timothy, and he brings this word into play. It's the word mediator. This is a beautiful word. Mediator is like the middle person. The middle person between two conflicting parties. A go-between in the, in the conflict. In 1 Timothy, Paul is directing his son in the ministry with some essential information about the church of God. Some of these things, that, Timothy, hold on to these with all you got. Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, don't let go. And what was Timothy doing at this time? Most likely he was like the sitting, uh, the interim pastor of the church of Ephesus, which was like a nightmare <laughs> ministering in that community. And Paul to Timothy at this time, in this passage, brings out the fact that peace with God is not exclusive to one group of people or one status of people. I mean, so in our minds we think of that, that God is exclusive to one group of people, one status of people. But there's other people, man, they, they can't be saved. It is even for political. But what Paul is saying here through this passage, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this. God can even rescue politicians. <laughs> I need to bring that up right here, right now. Because I hope you're praying. Guess what? God can save people like governors of the state of California. He can save them. Maybe. No, just joking. I cannot even say that. By His grace and mercy and love, that can happen, and that's exactly what Paul says here. Think about what's happening in the church of Ephesus. Think what's happening in the Roman Empire at this time. Think about, I mean, there's a lot of nonsense going on in the world around the time this is written. Just like today, here and now. And what does Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, remember, pray for everyone. All these people. Don't be exclusive. Don't pray for one group of people in authority, but leave out this other one because we don't like them. Here's what he says. 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For all kinds of people, if you want to put it that way. All these kind, different ones. God is meeting all these. He's not exclusive to just this group or this group. All of these. And here's, here's how he defines it. And we need to understand. Here's how he defines all these people. Kings 
and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Here it is. Who desires all and all people. And he's just defined who he's talking about. All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And here he goes, right here. This statement. Verse 5. For there is one God. Okay, time out. What in this Greco-Roman world, how were deities set up in this Greco-Roman world? Multiple gods. Emperors were even seen as divine. And what does Paul say to Timothy? Guess what? God can save them too. Here's what he says. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man. And who is this one God and one stand between? It is the man, Christ, Jesus. Don't ever forget it. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, who, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Wow! What is this? All right, very clearly we need to understand what it is not. It is not teaching universalism. Otherwise, you have to go through and extract all kinds of verses in the Bible and white out all of them. That's not teaching universalism, nor is it, does it undermine what's known as divine election because that is clearly taught in Scriptures as well. This is simply teaching. Okay, so say, nor does it teach, uh, undermine divine election, nor teach some sort of cheap, resistible grace, that God's grace isn't that big a deal and you can just kind of kick it to the curb. That's not what the Scriptures teaches. This is simply teaching that Christ is the only peacemaker between a holy God who demands righteousness and sinful men who are utterly corrupted in their sins, even political leaders. Utterly corrupted, some of them, and it's most, most likely seen they wear it out there uh, so everybody can see it, that corrupt nature. And Paul is saying, guess what? God can save those people too. And there's one God and one mediator between man, God and man, and it's not me. And it's not you. It is Jesus. He is the exclusive way. Jesus is the perfect God-man. And we've talked about this already. But He is the one to mend that gap. The one. Jesus is the mediator of peace between a wrathful God and a needy sinner. And this mediation is not exclusive to one race, not exclusive to one social status group. It is appropriate for all kinds of people who place repentant faith in Christ, even people in high positions that you would think He would never save. Oh yeah, a quick example. Every once in a while, family feuds erupt, even in preaching elders' houses with kiddos. And it's funny to watch sometimes uh, without using any names or anything like that. Um, younger sisters going at older sisters and brother. And to watch how they're trying, they're just, it all of a sudden erupts. And sometimes it erupts and it continues on for some time. But it's then really neat to see how one of the other children will step in and say, no, 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 hey, you stop and you stop. Let's get along. And they are attempting to mediate, and that lasts for all of one minute. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It is a noble effort. It is great to see this happen, but it doesn't last. And then what happens? Dad! Mom! And dad and mom step in, and see the mediation happen. <laughs> okay, that, that's a ridiculous illustration. 
But our world around us is looking for all sorts of different options to mediate the conflict with God. We're looking all around for all these different ways to get to God. How can we suffice this holy God? And the Scripture is very clear in this passage. There is only one person, only one ever, that can mediate between a holy God and a sinful man. And it is the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man at the same time in order that He might fully redeem. That's the Bible. And Paul very clearly says here to Timothy, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So as we think through this, especially kids, like review this, what we've talked about is this. Jesus is the exclusive way to God. Jesus is the exclusive, exclusive mediator, the stand between, between God and man. But there's another aspect to this. Not just the way to God, not just the go-between to God, but the actual rescue from God. I think this comes alive, and and we need to wrap this up, but what Peter says to the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4. We've tried to highlight a couple of the different apostles here, different ones that have written in the New Testament, and and really, um, we need to recognize that this isn't just one apostle, not one leader, not one passage in the Scriptures that teaches exclusivity. We've seen it from John. We've seen it from Paul. Let's now see it from Peter. All right? Uh, Peter, in Acts chapter, what's happening in Acts 4? Jesus has already ascended back up into heaven. The church has already been established after Pentecost. Peter and John are ministering in Jerusalem, teaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you would, exact, you would, you would expect what happened. What happened? The religious leaders continued their mad streak. We thought we dealt with this dude. We crucified him. Now those guys, they're talking. And Peter, the one who tucked tail and ran and cut off Malchus's ear and denied Jesus, he's the one preaching and seeing 3,000 souls at Pentecost. Now he's standing before the religious leaders and he's fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus Christ for Peter's life. He's doing it right here. Right through the first part of Acts. This failure, Peter, John 21 tells us that Jesus comes to him and says, I still want you, Peter. You still are going to do this. You're going to feed my lambs. And so here's he's doing it in Jerusalem. And in John 4, or or sorry, Acts 4, it's like like all this breaks loose for the, the, the leaders, religious leaders. And let's just read it, and we'll make a quick comment and go pretty soon. Verse 1, and as they were speaking to people, to the people, The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. So this is a big group. They came upon them. Verse 2. Greatly annoyed. (laughs) I love that. You ever been greatly annoyed? Well, these guys were. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4 of Acts 4. But many of those who had heard the word, hey, they believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. People are coming to Jesus. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes came together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest 
and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the priest, the high priestly family. Okay, in your minds, visualize a mass of, of religious political leaders in Jerusalem all coming together. These guys are fired up. The rock's been thrown at the bee's nest, and they are fired up to attack Peter and John. Verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power and by what name? Do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, so a crippled man was just healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him is standing this man before you all. And he's well. Quick, quick time out. I, I read that and I think, yeah! That is confidence. All of these leaders and he's pointing their fingers at you crucified Jesus. But you know what? He rose from the dead. And he's the one through his name, this man, this crippled man, is standing in front of you. And then what does he say about this Jesus? Verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. Clear connection to what's said in the Old Testament. The builders which which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12. Here it is. Highlight this verse. This is the brunt of the discussion. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yes! So not only is Jesus the way to God, not only is Jesus the mediator to God, Jesus is the one who is the actual rescuer of our souls. And I love what's said in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they recognized, here it is, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Wow! What just happened? These religious leaders, to these religious leaders, Peter emphatically proclaims, that no other name of authority can ever rescue but Jesus only. Amen. Not even Moses. Jesus is not only the way to God. Jesus is not only the mediator for peace with God. Jesus is the only true rescuer from God. Okay, back to the mountain scenario. One of my pastor friends in, in, in Leadville was a fellow... Uh, who was also part of the Lake County Search and Rescue. And they got into some really crazy situations in the mountains. Um, Leadville's at 10,000 feet, and they would rescue all through those areas. And one of the main ways they would rescue when, you, when people were way back in there, you could not get these people out. You could not bring four-wheelers in there. Uh, the only way you really can extract someone back there is through a helicopter. Would hike back in there, they'd drop the bucket, and they'd extract them. That's exactly what came to my mind when I'm reading this passage. There's no other way you're going to get off this, out of this dilemma. There's no other way you can rescue yourselves. No one around you can rescue. The only way you can be rescued is to be 
placed in the hands of Almighty God through Jesus. He is the only rescuer. It is in His name that we find salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what? So what? Where where are we going to go from here? We saw a trend in history that you just see truth has just been attacked because of the master deceiver. What does that mean for the here and now? And I would say I would ask this question for the here and now. I don't want to take for granted that everyone sitting in this room right now has come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Would you ask yourself this question? Have I trusted in the one and only? Have I trusted in Jesus? In our pluralistic world, relativistic, postmodern world, we must believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is not one amongst many. He is the one and only. He cannot try to cover all of our bases and conveniently choose Jesus as a way to God. Put Him on a shelf with all other ways to God in our own minds. No, He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'll tell you, this means something to me. Uh, yesterday was my 31st birthday in the Lord. <laughs> I knew you were a young pastor, not that young. No. Honestly, 31 years ago, I was talking to my son David. October 10th has a lot of significance to me because it's the day that as a young pastor's kid, I'd heard all the stories, memorized all these verses, knew the lingo, hold my Bible just right, brother. And it came to a place where I was, I remember it to this day, sitting in a sermon. My dad was preaching and I, I, I couldn't contain myself. God Almighty was pulling on the heartstrings. And I responded in faith and repentance. I called on Jesus Christ to save my soul. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, one other question, though. If you have come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, would you ask yourself this question, has your confidence in Jesus faded? Or is it growing stronger? This is not a time... Please understand, brothers and sisters, we're in this together as the body of Christ. Hey, brothers and sisters, this is not a time to falter. This is, this is not a time to doubt. This is not a time to hesitate. This is not a time to be wishy-washy with our theology of truth. Will you stand firm and cry? And we're going to sing this song in just a minute. Christ is enough. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Would you resound that as you walk out the, day, the doors today? Oh yes, this truth might be under attack, but not in my life. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep me until the end. Would you resound that today? Would you hold to that resolve to the last day? This week I was reminded of a book I read several years ago. A great book. It's called, uh, David Wells writes, it's called Above All Earthly Powers, Christ in a Postmodern World. And he ends out his book with this. Indeed, 
It is unnecessary to even think about overcoming the postmodern world because it has already been overcome in its time. We can't go overcome all this mess around us. So what do we do? Do we give up? Throw in the towel? Here it is. It is only ours to see the victory of Christ on the cross being realized afresh in the actual circumstances of our time. That will happen when the church humbles itself afresh, seeks the power and cleansing of God, and asks to have its vision renewed of the victory of Christ and to see once again His greatness. So may it be. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as our faith is tested, As our faith is tested, let us fix our eyes on the one and only Jesus Christ. So God, that is our prayer today. Thank you for saving our souls. Oh God, this should not in any way elicit some proud response of status and hierarchic religion. It should elicit a response of of grace and humility in our lives and confidence in the Jesus that saved our soul. Oh God, I pray that for every single person here today that we would walk out of these doors resolved now more than ever to hold to the way, the truth, and the life. And oh God, I pray for young ones here today who are in the midst of this truth war. I pray for their souls, God. Let them hold strong to Jesus Christ, the truth. Let them hold strong to the word of truth through the spirit of truth. Friends, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, or really however you would like to pray this morning. We spent a little bit of time in prayer prior to the word this morning, but we want to close out in prayer. You and God. Maybe you're, you're contemplating whether you truly have come to Jesus. Please understand, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. Come to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I would encourage you, if you've never come to Jesus in faith and repentance, would today be the day? We're going to sing the last song, and as we're singing that last song, Towards the end of that song, there'll be some people that'll come to the front that would love to pray with you. God's pulling on your heartstrings this morning to respond in faith. Would this be the day? Don't delay. Others in this room, would you pray that you would be resolved now more than ever? trust Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Lastly, I just did it, but would you pray with me for the next generation of believers that are sitting in this room right now? That they would hold to the truth. they would truly see Christ is enough and that they would clearly proclaim I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. 
God, we love you. Thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. Such appropriate passages, ones we're familiar with, most of them. Nonetheless, ones that you, you wanted to encourage our hearts with this morning. Thank you. So I pray that we'd go out with resolve today to trust you. So we sing this last song, let it come from hearts overwhelmed with gratitude and humility. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.